Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It is indeed. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. We are in the midst of our On the Line series, talking with the folks who, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, are at the forefront and the front lines of helping us respond and heal to the physical, emotional, and structural uh, pain that this is causing. We have a wonderful guest on the line, a repeat guest, truly one of my favorite people that I've gotten to know through this show. Uh, it's been really just already, her apartment is so much nicer than either of ours. It's been really, really lovely to see via Zoom. <laughs> Folks, Tempest Hazel's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before I ask anything, I just have to let you know. So I'm obviously cohabitating in this time with my partner, Rosie. And she was like, Daniel, when you do the horse noise, is anyone else doing animal noises? (laughs) (laughs) She's like, for some reason, just the horse noise makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) I think it also makes you uncomfortable. Like you've enjoyed living in that discomfort. Yeah. You continuously do it. And I feel like you get more and more uncomfortable the better you're at it. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, can we hear it one yes. more time just in case somebody yes. missed She's it? She's going to be so mad at me when I get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I am taking requests for new animal noises. If you have an animal you'd like to hear me attempt, let me know and I'll give it a shot. But only different genus of horse-like species. <laughs> it's Ponies, <so> just... <laughs> mules, donkeys, <laughs> Shetland. Goats. Goats. Yeah. I'll, I'll allow a zebra. You could throw. I have no idea what a zebra sounds like. Wow, I heard it's close so to much like to... a goat bad type of situation. But all hmm. right, <laughs> you you had an answer for that. Yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> but so let let's start where we always start. Yeah, Dame, you want to start it off? I got you. Uh, so it's getting wild and wilder to ask. We've been asking this question for years. <laughs> And now it feels absurd. Um, but in this time, and defined time, however you will, this day, hour, season, lifetime, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? I should have been prepared for this, shouldn't I? Um... <laughs> no. <laughs> no need. That's a that's a tough question. Uh, I the world is treating me how it always is treating me. It's, it's still going, it's still turning and I'm living in it and consuming things from it and trying to understand my, my place in it. I'm grateful because I feel like it's treating me in some ways better than it's treating a lot of people who are struggling and suffering right now. So I want to start with gratitude, but also at the same time, it's true. It's, the world is hurting me right now. Um, and the world is hurting right now. So it's a lot. Um, how I'm treating the world is, is trying to be treated the same way that I want to be treated with a kind of care and patience and compassion and empathy and just, just really trying to practice that and, and to give that out as much as I can because things, things are hard. Things hit differently right now. Things hit harder right now. And all of the things that are coming in this pandemic moment and all of the things that came before this pandemic moment, um, a lot of those things persist. So I don't know. I think it's, I think how, how the world is treating me, how I'm treating the world is changing every day. And it's a hard question to answer, but I, I do think that it's, it's tough and how it's treating me is mixed because the, there's, there are the different, areas of my life that are treating me differently. There are different segments of the world that are treating me differently. Some mm. are good and some are, some are hard. Um, some are painful, uh, but a lot are good. I have a really amazing family. Most of my family is healthy and we're all checking in on each other. So that feels good. Um, and to be able to have that support system feels very good. So my, the world of Hazel's and the Hazel, Hazel kind of tribe is like, is, is good. And then as you move into the other areas, it, it mixes up in all kinds of ways and has different ways that it's, yeah. so that's, a, that's a really hard question. And I, I just love that question and its consistency and how it changes um, within a given day. 
it is getting harder and harder for people and for, I think, both of us to answer it too, just because, you know, as you mentioned, the one of the lessons that I think this time has really taught me is it is so, so real to be okay and not okay at the same time. Mm -hmm. There's almost a discomfort in that. And, you know, we see it, as, especially in this series with guests who are not, um, actually, yeah, we, we've seen it a lot in this series with guests feeling almost whether it's a guilt or just like an acknowledgement like you did of like, I'm grateful that the world is treating me better than it's treating other people <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think like that's the, that's the center of the, the two sides. Like people are okay and not okay at the same time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to your Hazel tribe as well. I love that. <laughs> There's a lot <laughs> that of sounds them. So beautiful. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> thank you for that. Right. I think, I think we could, there, there's a, a pool to almost just be talking about right now, uh, but I'm trying to challenge myself to stay grounded. Um, you know, I think there is this urge, particularly with like Uprise, especially if your origin is in responding mm -hmm. uh, to such things that like, oh, now it, it is our duty. But, you know, acknowledging that there's work and plans that have been in response to these things, they may not be immediate or may not be as extreme. So I'm, I'm, I'm balancing just through transparency to you and to the listeners of like wanting to just like, let's just talk and, and, and shoot the shit and, and uh, debrief what's going on in the world, like in this day. But I'm so grateful for you and your time because there is so much more work that we can get perspective on. So I just kind of want to say that and then ground in like what I think the intentionality of this conversation can be. So a little bit of context for those who may not have uh, heard Tempest on the show before. Uh, Tempest is, you know, an amazing artist and curator um, and also has been working in the world of institutional capital funding, philanthropy with the Field Foundation. And for some people that may like challenge their notion of on the line and response. Uh, but, you know, I think there is a, a discomfort due to like the, the structural contradiction and the fact that movement spaces, mine included, are not revenue generating, right, mm -hmm. for the most part, uh, and are not self-sustaining in a capitalist environment um, and have to have relationship with capital in order to survive and do work that for most of us is grounded in like creating a world that is not dependent upon capital. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a tension for a lot of people, particularly black liberatory spaces, because our history teaches us explicitly that that tension and contradiction um, has disabled uh, mm -hmm. a, a lot of our spaces, but you, Tempest, uh, uh, is somebody who I've seen firsthand, like operate with an integrity. Um, we learned a lot about your work when you came on. And since then we've like Daniel has mentioned, I've had like the privilege of seeing it like in real time. And so I just want to honor you. Uh, you are somebody I really admire. I have like a, a big sister in, in life, <laughs> that actual like person that my mother gave birth to before me. Yeah. Uh, and she's Thank you for defining like, sister. I like <laughs> <laughs> and she's somebody I just like admire and like has her shit together. And so when I think of big sister life, right? Like we're not that close. I'm not trying to like stun okay. like false flag, but we can get there. Uh, you have the like responsibility of like, oh, I'm going to make sure things get done in the house before mom gets home. Right. And like mom <laughs> being like the evils of the world. <laughs> um, so, so that's a little bit of my gas and affirmation trying to ground this conversation of like, we're talking about what's happening right now. Um, so yeah. So our economy is in <laughs> utter collapse. This uh, is a hard pivot. Pivot. pivot! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, people are really saying there's all of this rapid response, mutual mm -hmm. aid mm -hmm. things that are going on. Um, and so, from you in your seat, as somebody who's who lives amongst movements, uh, but it has in, in this institutional space, uh, what are you saying about how this time has shifted? Just like. I think we see very clearly how it provokes folks who want to go do a protest or who want to like make plates or who want to make sure that the hospital is open. Um, I'm very curious just to get started. Like, what is the shift that's happening in institutional space? Yeah. So first, I want to say, if you ever want to come to the Hazel Family Reunion or Cookout, you are invited. <laughs> <I'm there. laughs> you can come. An honorary um, Hazel. <laughs> <laughs> But I, you know, I really, I really appreciate what you said because that is um, one of the big questions that I had even coming into philanthropy was how to maintain my own integrity and also how to honor and do right by the relationships that I built before I came to field and make sure that um, my work at field doesn't compromise those relationships because that 
is something I've worked very hard to build. Um, and my reputation within the sector is something that I've worked very hard um, to build and do in a very intentional way. But to, to the question of how things are shifting, I mean, it's, it's been really interesting to see how things are shifting. On one hand, you know, I have to recognize the fact that there's been a lot of collaborative work that um, has happened to pull together resources and all of the relief that's coming out, even though it, of course, is not enough to the extent of what has happened, just what is happening economically and, um, you know, with unemployment housing across all of these different areas. But it's it's been admirable to be able to see folks collaborate in philanthropy and doing this work. It's been really interesting because the sector is getting to a place that it would have taken years and years and years and years for it to get to. And it's forcing itself to ask questions that haven't been pushed or ideas or strategies or suggestions or issues that, um, that haven't been pushed and haven't been seen as necessarily um, urgencies that right now are being seen as urgencies. And a lot of that has to do with just the quickness of all of this. Like this is, we're talking about a matter of months that everything just like crashed in so many ways and that so many systems are showing their, you know, their underbellies, their problematic underbellies um, in ways that a lot of folks um, outside of the sector have known for a long time. A lot of folks in the sector have known for a long time, but haven't really been able to push on. And that people who weren't necessarily convinced of the urgency or understood things theoretically are seeing it actually put into practice. Um, there's a shift that is happening. I think in, in a way it's hard because everything's happening so fast. We don't quite, I don't think I can speak very firmly about what the shifts are, but I know that they're happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that some seeds have been planted that have needed to be planted for a long time there's a heightened sense of urgency that perhaps wasn't there in the same way. So I'm really curious to see the next year, how the, these mental shifts, the shifts in understanding of where these systems are failing, the problems that have long been problems, but there have been enough people who have been working through them or on the uh, better side, more um, fortunate side of those, those systems it's starting to hit them. And I, I see on the horizon that there hopefully down the line will be some huge shifts happening because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and go to answer the question though, from my own corner of the universe with field, you know, one thing that I've been, been saying a lot and realizing a lot over the past couple months is the fact that field field as a foundation, it shifted a few few years ago to focusing on racial equity and focusing on South and West Sides of Chicago, focusing on efforts and organizations that are um, doing justice work, um, working in arts and culture, working in media and storytelling that are led by Black, Indigenous, Latinx, POC folks. So in the way that field was approaching grant making, it really lends itself to this moment because yes, this is, we're in a, a kind of unprecedented crises. But before this, many of these communities were in unprecedented (laughs) crises. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of even kind of like pivoting within our own focus and figuring out what parts of our own strategy needs to be prioritized in this moment. But it's definitely not a reinventing the wheel moment where we're having to like scramble to flip and change how we're grant making, who we're giving to, in response to this moment, because the work that field has done has really been in response to other, like the, the same issues that the pandemic is really pushing um, yeah. and bringing to light. So it's what we've seen in so many of these conversations, which is that the people who end up leading and having uh, a plan or at least forward momentum in the midst of this crisis are the people who are already doing that work mm-hmm. beforehand. And, and, you know, I think that's true. Even when you look, Damon, you've mentioned like historical analogs of that, that like in a moment of crisis, the people who 
can actually help move things forward and help people heal are almost never the one, the loudest (laughs) and Mm -hmm. two, the people who are coming up with plans as they implement the plans. It's almost always people who are already doing some sort of work with that lens who then can be like, Hey, we have this toolkit or we have this game plan to bring into addressing the particular needs of this moment. Yeah. I I'm curious, you know, outside of the context of field and you alluded to it, you mentioned some seeds being planted and some questions being asked as specific or as vague as you feel comfortable getting, what are some of the questions that you're watching people who haven't had to ask these questions ask now? I mean, you're about to make me get on my soapbox. So let's do it. That's what this show <laughs> is. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple and I'm, I'm going to speak to the sector. I know I am in the art sector. That is, that is my, that is my lane. I love my lane. Um, and we got to start I've, sending people actual soap boxes for when we record <laughs> so they can just sit on top of it. Just the stand on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've in, when I going into, um, philanthropy, I'd always kind of did work that was community-based within the arts and, or it was really heavily focused on artists and their sustainability and how they're, how easily they're able to do their work and the resources that they get and just their overall well-being, personally, professionally with their practice. Coming into fields and otherwise, I've always had the mindset that you can't put art in its own kind of like silo in its own box because it doesn't operate that way. Art and culture is something that is, especially with black Latinx indigenous POC communities, it's very much so a part of your life. It's part of your daily life. So it's not something that can very easily be relegated to like a museum or a performance hall or a stage or something like that exclusively. Because the truth of the matter is, is that, Artists have families, they have to eat, they have homes, they have issues with getting jobs, they lose jobs, unemployment, they, all of these things. They're business owners, they are all a part of all of these sectors and uh, different areas that, that we talk about, but we tend to put artists in their own area. So, okay, over here we're talking about housing and evictions and employment and unemployment and workforce development and all of these things, right? Healthcare, all of these things, um, immigration, all these things, and not really seeing that there's a direct connection. All of these things are applicable to artists. Oh, you're interested in unemployment, you say. May I introduce you <laughs> to an artist? <laughs> I <laughs> you know, mean, the, you know. The professionally unemployed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, the, it's the true, it's the, I mean, seriously, that's, that's something that I feel is, I feel so passionately about in how we even tell our stories and talk about our work. We often have to be the ones to make the connections for people in that way. So then even, you know, not to, not to get too much in the weeds of it, but you look at these um, paycheck protection loan programs that were happening that where you could apply to get funding to pay your employees. There were blind spots within this where if you were a contract employee or working in a certain kind of like depending on how you work or your relationship to that organization and how you're getting paid, that might not apply to you. Oh, 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 we know. You know we were like, those people. Yeah. Right, exactly. So so then it then that means that there's a problem. You're missing an entire sector, a really important sector of gig workers, of freelancers, of temp workers, of contract workers, of different people who aren't able to access these different things like this check or the um, PPP loans or whatever the case may be, you know? So it's, that's one of the things. Another thing is that um, there's a lot to learn from um, the systems and structures. Uh, Damon, you mentioned that um, they're not sustainable and that in a lot of ways, like different um, organizations that do, certain types of work or work in community in certain types of ways aren't sustainable. And I think that to me, that's another way in which we have to think about the language that we use and how we talk about it, because I actually think that it is more stable (laughs) than Mm -hmm. some of these Mm -hmm. other structures. Mm -hmm. And there is something to learn about the stability and also Mm -hmm. a different kind of capital um, and a capital that isn't money driven. Um, and, and there, there's a whole value system and structure 
that um, many organizations like Lettuce Breeze, for instance, um, operates with that is to me, even though from a capitalist point of view, it's not sustainable. I think it's some of the most sustainable. So once these systems of capitalism crumble, it's my belief that the lettuce breeds and, you know, organizations like, like that um, are going to be the ones that actually make it because it's a different kind of economy. It's a different yeah. kind of value system. It's a different kind of capital. Yeah. Um, Startups aren't sustainable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like those yeah. are the businesses that crumble. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's really encouraging to, yeah, like that sustainability to stability spectrum. Mm-hmm. Cause like, thank you for, for, you know, n- naming us in, in that. Cause even you saying that you're right. Right. Like for me and let us breathe work, like I would do that every day and not get paid. I don't get paid. Right. And like, that's not, if there was no money, I would still do it. It's just other people expect money for things. Right? Mm-hmm. We would keep doing it regardless or do it at a different way or at a different scale. But, you know, people want you to pay for your lights. Uh, yes, they do. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, yeah, thank you for that language of acknowledging our stability. Cause that, that's helpful. And thank you for also the totality of your answer. Cause it gets me to like the one big question that I wanted to ask. And I was sitting over here with angst of like trying to figure out, is this an early question? Is this a late question? Right in the How middle. I'm going to ask it. Yeah, we're right, in the we're right here. Um, and I say that I have angst about it because this is a, a thing that like I'm always trying to speak about and gain my own language and understanding. It, it's, it's similar to the introductory context I gave about like this central tension or contradiction. And I think this moment and you bringing up like the stimulus and like what Congress is doing uh, can really accentuate what some of those tensions are. Because what happened was uh, our state very clearly and as explicitly as it possibly could prioritize capital and institutions and what we could call a funding class mm-hmm. uh, over people. And so I, I've even seen like some like billionaires or super rich capitalists be like, oh, we don't even like need this money right now. Um, and, and so, you know, what the tension is always is we are interacting on the ground level with good people such as yourself. Uh, but we know that the money comes from somewhere and that the money has to be connected to the same equity, the same markets. Right. And so in this time of where the institutionalized are being prioritized is institutional capital seeing like, hey, where our funds come from. And I, I'm not, I think you use very good language of like your sect of the universe. I don't know. I actually don't know where like the Phil Foundation money comes from. <laughs> uh, so I'm not trying to like speak or like get in trouble uh, or, or piss anybody off. But uh, but I do want to name that like at a, at a larger scale, there's even like an extra layer of accountability that I think should come from those who are aware of their position, who mm-hmm. just got bailed out when they didn't need it to the sum of trillions in a way that actually privileges the elite to be able to take more people's stuff, right? Like it, mm. what's happening is prices are getting devalued mm-hmm. and then rich people are getting more money so they can buy things for cheaper. So that means people's homes, people's businesses, school systems fail, right? Like mm-hmm. it is it is the monopoly game happening right in front of us. Uh, does this moment actually feel like it is provoking folks within foundation institutions to be actually questioning capitalism in a deeper way than just figuring out how to aid some of its failures. That was, that was more my soapbox. And you're no, just there. That and good. so I'm trying to, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, that's a good soapbox. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> My answer is, I hope so, you know, um, (laughs) but I was just writing something earlier about and thinking about the fact that a lot of what um, capitalism is, is really rooted in is its survival strategy is like, it's, it's for itself. It's like a very individualistic kind of survival. So with foundations, I feel like it's very similar in that, um, I'm suspicious of foundations, period. And I, I completely understand that I'm at a foundation. I really love <laughs> the work that I'm able to do at Field Foundation, but I am I honestly just very critical of the philanthropic sector as a whole because at the end of the day, much of the general understanding of this moment um, or of this these past few months and how philanthropy will respond is that 
the typical response is to pull back is to when your endowment is losing money because it is directly tied to the stock market and your investments, then you become more conservative so that you as a foundation are able to make it through, which means you're hoarding wealth in a way, in a different way than you were perhaps previously in a better economy. It's one thing for like an organization or a company that makes a thing to then hoard wealth. But if the whole job is to give wealth away and then you go, oh, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, that it's so even more so than in other sectors, so directly contradictory to like what the function it's like a, yeah, like a factory saying we're not going to make things anymore. Yeah. I don't often see the pulling apart of that or the, um, a, a completely radical way of thinking about um, moments like these and reevaluating the relationship to capitalism because foundations exist because of capitalism. So it's not challenging it is hard, but there are ways to challenge it. Like there are things that I really um, would love to see and and especially with with some of the foundations that have much more money of being able to use the money that they have in different ways and beyond what they consider like charity and really think about what resources they have at their fingertips to really completely transform communities. Like some of these foundations have the ability to completely transform entire populations and cities and <laughs> communities in their, ba- you know, in their accounts, which is wild to me. So to your question, Damon, I don't, I, I hope so. I, I think that in one area that it definitely is, and it's, it's more in the nuts and bolts and kind of in the weeds of things. I think there's a better understanding of we're seeing very clearly just to go back to some of the, some of this, like the cares stuff and the different relief that's come on the federal and the state level of the gaps. Those are seen in a completely different way. Those are seen so much more and so much clear, Mm -hmm. more clearly to folks that having to address how to get dollars directly into the pockets of folks, you know, like six months ago, People were talking about how crazy it it would be to have universal basic income, right? But now that seems to be a strategy for getting us out of this. You know, those types of things. um, That's what we're seeing in this moment of a lot of really great ideas that have been called out previously being said like, see, now you want (laughs) to look at this strategy and now it, it might help. And then also business structure, like business entities, understanding that nonprofit just even a name is problematic. (laughs) You know, like it just doesn't work for when you're talking about community development, really being able to have communities um, uplift themselves, build wealth, build power, build resources for themselves, have autonomy. Nonprofit ain't it. So as long as philanthropy is prioritizing only giving money to nonprofit, it is basically fueling something that will be forever dependent on somebody else's wealth and somebody else's resources in order to keep it going. And that's way too much power for those folks to have. You know, at Fields, I do a lot to um, try to focus on hybrid models, different types of models, alternative economy um, and how to like go around the way to fund nonprofit cooperative work, you know, like different things that are building wealth for people, for families, for communities, building resources and ways to be able to not have to be dependent on the, especially philanthropy. Um, that's something that has been at the core of my work at Field because it's the idea of you can either give folks fish or you can teach them how to fish. It's the two. It's that. It kind of boils mm-hmm. down to that type of thing. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm much more into the ways in which philanthropy can actually teach folks how to be not not even teach because I don't know that's what, what philanthropy say, yeah. can teach. But I was going to say maybe philanthropists should like look at how people have been fishing, right? And be <laughs> like, like, oh, oh you've that's been using cool. a net. Oh, okay. Let's here. Here's some more nets. So here's some. Exactly. You know, like here's here's yeah. a factory so you can make your nets. So here's bait. like a little house. Yeah. Here's some material, a farm, something like here. Here you go. Um, <laughs> because I I do think that that that's what it needs to see its role as, rather than it it being like we're giving you this and here you go. And then once it runs out, you're going to come back to us, but we might change our mind and have other ideas of what we want to support. So sorry, you know. This it's just. Anyway, 
I would just keep talking. (laughs) Why don't they ever talk about fishing poles and that saying? (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, I gave you this great fishing lesson. (laughs) This Uh, great professional development (laughs) of fishing. (laughs) I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) But I'm taking my poles back with me. (laughs) And I didn't give you a fish either. (laughs) I'm keeping my fish because I don't want to give that to you because then you won't learn how to fish. But go uh, go get your poles. Also, fishing isn't that hard. <laughs> Why are you making this so complicated? Like just, I'm not a great the, fisherman, I, but I can catch a fish. <laughs> and nobody taught me. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about the oh poles. My goodness. Oh yeah. my god. So I, I don't know, David. I don't know if I answered your question. You kind did. Of, no, okay, cool. Just making sure. <laughs> I want to go back to something that you you mentioned, which is how the response to the shortcomings and the gaps in the CARES Act were visible and nameable in a way that some of these shortcomings of foundation work and nonprofit work haven't been to some people. Um, and I think that what that really points to is what happens when you abdicate responsibility from the state, right? So a foundation can say, well, it's just our prerogative to choose who we want to give money to. But the state, which is the public, which is our money, which is supposed to, in name, serve everyone within its jurisdiction, when they say we are going to prioritize certain people over each other, which they do all the time, at least then you can say this is a contradiction, right? Or mm-hmm. this is something that we have some more sort of recourse to name. Um, and, and I think it goes to kind of what, you know, Damon, we've talked about this a lot on the show. What is made possible uh, in terms of extraction when the state is no longer responsible for caring for people's needs? Um, and, and so I, I, like we were talking about, this is a moment where that gets exposed. And I think even just in people's mindsets, it's like a foundation doesn't serve the public foundation serves the people who it gives grants to a company doesn't serve the public company serves its shareholders, but at least we have some conception that a state is supposed to serve the people that are under its jurisdiction. Um, I have no question about that, but it just really like popped out of like, oh yeah, if a, foundation was giving grants and they said we're not going to give grants to this group of people like you don't really have anything you can say to them because they're not accountable to you in the same way you know very true um <laughs> that is very that i mean it I, it is very true but i think that um words matter and many foundations have missions that they are mm, accountable true. to So as long as they have missions that say that they're supposed to be serving some kind of public good or doing X, Y, and Z, the public can hold them accountable to that mission. Um, And that's, that's the place to push in my mind. So there, so to me, there is, whether it's a private foundation, family, you know, any kind of foundation, there's still an accountability to their mission. And Mm -hmm. as long as that is open to inter has some interpretation or any kind of explicit, things that they're saying that they're seeking to do. And if they're not doing that, it's our responsibility to call that out, especially if they're saying that they're serving certain folks. Yeah. So I want to get back to the ground a little bit. I'm I'm really grateful that we were able to have this conversation. I don't think I could, I don't know anybody else I could have this conversation with yeah. without just bullshitting or pulling out of my ass. <laughs> uh, and so like, if I feel just uh, comfortable and like, having this in real time. Uh, but I want to like kind of get off them in the top office mm-hmm. and like talk about the, the, the work that is supposed to be, or is being supported or that is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, as a show or as an entity that really focuses on the ground and someone who works on the ground, even that's a kind of like weighted metaphor. Uh, it's hard to like see your pairs or see laterally mm-hmm. all that's going on, even though we try our hardest to be in collaboration, coalition, solidarity, uh, and that there is actually a purview that institutional funding has of being able to like see pretty intimately actually uh, work across a field. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pun intended. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, that was the word. I guess I should just say I intended it and like stand on it across the field <laughs> um that does sound like the, the the podcast that we go into field foundation to pitch <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we're working on don't trust me <laughs> so across the field um what are you seeing um that is encouraging because that's really what we're trying to do with this series is like pull out the lessons of you know folks put a lot on the line folks step up uh and it's hard to catch it all um 
Okay. I'm, I feel yeah. like I'm saying too many sayings. No, <laughs> what, what, great, what great work have you been seeing? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> great work. I mean, I... You know, I I struggle with the with this question because on one hand, you know, there there are many more you know more traditional I don't traditional isn't the right word, but um, organizations that present work, so organizations that exhibit visual artists or um, present perform performing artists or dancers, musicians, you know, things like that that are doing really amazing work, um, or folks who do. Uh, work with teaching artists that are, they're doing really amazing work to just kind of keep their staff and still pay folks, even if they're losing contracts of, um, you know, like working with CPS schools or uh, different commission projects or things that they're hired for to do. So a lot of organizations are really digging in and taking pay cuts from their leadership or figuring out how to move money or just doing everything that they can to make sure that they take care of their own, um, whether that's the artists they work with or their staff. And that, that has been amazing to watch um, and to just see what people are willing to give up of their own comforts or their, their own stability in order to share that and make sure that the people around them are taken care of. But then in a lot of ways, I think, you know, a lot of the organizations that field supports are ones that do a lot of different kinds of work. So they're not just arts organizations. They also provide social services. And I feel like Let Us Breathe is one of those, but I would also say like Brave Space Alliance, Asada's Daughters, um, Blue Tim Production, some folks like um, Circles and Ciphers. You know, there, there are a lot of groups that do really incredible things that go beyond just supporting the creative practice or presenting that creative work or creative education. And also just, you know, are dealing with and doing basic needs work, also creating and distributing PPE, distributing food. Um, So much of it has been incredible to watch. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that groups like that, like inner city Muslim action network or grow greater Inglewood, like, have all been doing this work before. Like they were doing this similar type of work before. So these pivots are not really pivots. It's just like an evolution or in a, a growth of the work that they were already doing. So I think to me, it's, it is very inspiring to see them shine in this moment. I just hope that people are recognizing that shine and that there are a lot of folks with with perhaps like bigger audiences or wider reach or or that are more known that are doing admirable work that they're new to. I just hope <laughs> that there's more, you know, I hope there is also equal visibility given to the folks who have been doing this type of work for a very long time. And I think some of the folks that I named are a few of those. And I think there's also a lot that we will see coming up as far as who's going to be at the forefront of really thinking about the policy that needs to be pushed, the advocacy and organizing that needs to happen in order to change these, some of these systems. As we're seeing more of the cracks of these systems, re- the folks who are going to be punching at those cracks and really making sure they continue to crack and crumble in order to build something up. So there, I think we're, we will see another phase that will pull some of the things that were already in the works and also use this as an opportunity to really push for ideas that were perhaps put on the back burner or it wasn't the time for them, this will be the time. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But there's been, a, there's been a lot of really great work happening and it's almost overwhelming to even try to sort through it all and do justice to explain it all. That's what literally we've been trying to do for five years here. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for listeners who are curious, we've had folks from a lot of those organizations and groups that Tempest listed on the show in the past. So in the show notes, we'll put links to the episodes like Hoda's for Blue Tent Productions or uh, we've had folks from Iman on a bunch of those organizations. So if you're, if you're curious about their work from before the pandemic, uh, we'll put all that in the show notes. All right, I got a last question for you, Dame. You want to have anything before you want to go? There? I, I I feel like I have bombarded. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question, and it's a two-parter. Um, one, what can the two of us, as well as our listeners, do to support your work as directly or indirectly as you see that support being most useful? Um, and two, what's something you've been doing, if not every day, close to every day, that's helping you be more okay in this time? So to that first question, what folks can do, I would say first and foremost, and especially knowing your audience, um, 
and that I am, I imagine your audience is like me. So it's like, <laughs> you are I kind of to... the perfect, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what would I want to be telling myself at this moment? Um, I think there are a few things, there are a few things and it's similar to the same things that, uh, happened before, especially for people doing this type of work and, and organizing and doing a lot of really deep community work. Um, first and foremost, take care of yourselves and do it unapologetically and understand that, you know, I know we hear it. I know we read it. I know all the think pieces and articles are coming out about taking care of yourself and that this is stress is high and anxiety is high. And, um, all of all of the the things that are adding to our mental health and spiritual health and wellness, it, there's a lot that's coming at us. Um, there was a lot coming at us before this as well, but taking care of yourself is really important. And it doesn't matter the think piece that comes out to give you permission. Working to give yourself permission to do that is essential. It's so essential, and it's hard because I struggle with that all the time of like, I know this in theory, but am I putting it into practice of actually saying like, I need to maintain my boundaries and understand that there's only so much I could do. I'm only one person. But then also at the same time, you are one person. There's a lot you could do. Um, but being able to navigate both of those things is something that um, I think is very, very important in trying to, trying to find that balance for yourself. Like once you've taken care of yourself and figured out a way to, um, make sure that's, that's, um, all good. Then I would say, I mean, it's, it's actually hard to say this to your audience, to, you know, the people listening. Um, because I, in a lot of ways, I, I imagine that nine out of 10 of the people that are listening are folks who know what to do. They are already donating or co- connected with or supporting or circulating information about or making their own kind of like pods or mutual aid or, you know, like doing all of these different things. Um, but I do think that that is essential right now of figuring out what you can do and especially when money it seems to be the thing that's at the top of mind for good reason because it it is directly connected to how we eat how we live all of all of those things but i do think being able to recognize the power in the other things that you have that are of value the other resources that you can share to kind of go into the second question one thing that i've been doing because i actually have um I don't know. I I wish somebody would actually diagnose this or come up with this being a thing, but I get screen fatigue and I got screen fatigue before this. So I would have to actually take six months hiatuses off of social media. I just recently, after like seven months of not posting on Instagram and having like mixed feelings about being on Instagram, like reposted on there and like almost immediately regretted it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, but I... I've been slowing down by writing letters and finding slower versions of communication that let people know that I care in a different way, using my words and understanding that if I don't have anything to give, I can give good energy. I can give love. I can give a sense of care or a sense of seeing, you know, making sure that people are seen, the people in my life that I love and care about are seen. I did like my own personal kind of like, delivery service and make care packages for friends of mine across the city and spent a weekend just driving across the city, dropping off packages at their front door and running away, you know? Um, and the, the like best possible ding dong ditch in history, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, to me, it's, it's things like that. You want to, um, slowing down hasn't really happened. So all of the things that, that it seems like it's being said that people are doing like baking bread or whatever. I don't haven't really had the time to do <laughs> to do any of that because just because of the, the work that I do. Um, and I have 60 and 60 is going through its own thing that I'm mm-hmm. having to navigate right now. Um, but one thing that I can do, and this is for my own mental and spiritual health and also to get away from screens and also give something to the people in my life and the people around me to help fuel them to keep going and feel good for an, at least one more day 
is writing letters and, and figuring out for myself what I can contribute that is healthy for me and good for the people around me. So that's, that's been really kind of essential because everything else, I'm terrible at routines. I don't know how y'all are, but a daily routine is the hardest thing for me. Um, having a nine to five has been a hard thing for me throughout my whole adult life. Um, and <laughs> finding a routine when I just thought I figured out how to have a routine and then this happened and I'm like at home and I don't know the difference between sleeping and waking and lunch <laughs> and a meeting. And I don't know, everything's like blending in together. I love that. Am I asleep or am I eating lunch right now? <laughs> I can't tell. I don't know. <laughs> or is this a meeting? I don't know. Did I eat today? You know, it's like, what? I, it's just... Am I in a one-on-one with the sandwich or is am I consuming the sandwich? <laughs> that was really beautiful. I mean, the, the, the thing on letters and slowing down communication uh, really resonates. And you also said something that I don't have a direct question to, but I did want to make space for is, you know, you said there's things going on with 60, uh, talking about 60 inches from center for folks who are interested. Uh, it's an amazing platform and curatorial space. You can go back and listen to a previous episode and get some more of like the backstory on, but I did want to not just like, Hey, tell us about your job when you've created something out of passion that you also are maintaining. Uh, and so, yeah, just, you know, also want to uplift that. Is there anything that you want to like document or name about what's going on with 60 inches from center right now? Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things that I'm really grateful for is that one, it, it is a collective effort and our editorial team has a lot of power in determining what happens with it. And that is everything from the breaks that we take, the hiatuses we take from publishing, what types of projects we take and all, all of that. So this moment, it, it has been a little bit less stressful for us because we don't question when we need to take a break or when we need to slow down. And the support is there when folks do want to be active or they need that space to actually work some things out or, you know, I want to write about artists because right now I just need something to focus on. It's something that feels good. The first thing was just to take the temperature and see if everybody was okay. One, one thing that came up once I started to hear the struggles that folks are having, some folks are having housing insecurity, food insecurity, you know, just paying bills, um, being able to take care of themselves, travel, all of those things. Um, we started coming up with different ways to support them. So things like doing like a pledge where our contributors could say, I will write five articles over the next year and we would pay them up front for it rather than mm -hmm. them waiting to be paid for it. Or like some of us who do editorial work or writing, we donate our fees back to an internal pool that then goes to other team members who are in need. So we're just trying to figure out how to take care of our team internally and also just like loosen the, any kind of pressure as far as any deadlines that we have for any projects that we were working on, just because there's enough stress in the world. And a lot of, a lot of what 60 is for folks is, it's a love thing. So you don't want to, in a time when we need to be caring for ourselves, make another piece of work, you know, and make something feel like work if that's not the space that you're in of being able to do it without it feeling like work. You know, this is our 10, this is our 10 year anniversary this year. And oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And we have big plans, but, and we just going to be celebrating 11. I mean, 11 is kind of like a <laughs> mediocre year, but. No, that's know. a better number anyway. <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah. cooler. Forget that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's nice to have that autonomy that you described over what you make, right? Like that, the, if, if what people need is to slow down, then you can just say, we're slowing down. And, and if what people need is help, then you can say, all right, we're going to help. It's a real. Yeah. Having to click hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, where can folks find you and your work in the ways you want to be found? You can find me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, no. You can find me. <laughs> in the ways you want to be found. Yes, Remember yes. That. Okay, okay. It could be nowhere. <laughs> you might not want to be found. <laughs> you can find me on Ergo, and that's about it. No. Um, <laughs> no uh, we, we can be your, your like, outpost. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so my, my website, um, tempesthazel.com, uh, or you can find the people and um, the work I love at 60 inches from center.org. 
Yeah. And if you find me on social media, (laughs) you can see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) But don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Just don't, don't get your hopes up. Don't expect a response to a DM in less than 30 days. And, you know, but yeah, websites are always best. Beautiful. We're at Ergo Radio. I'm at Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. Before I just do the sign off, Tempest, thank you so much for bringing your thoughts and being part of this conversation. One, like, I think it's a really important conversation to have, but also it's just wonderful to get to see your face and hear your voice. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you all so much. I always feel assured talking. To you, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I've never been told that, but I like that. That's good. That's really nice. And in and, and all um, seriousness, I just also want to say that I hope that that you all and that we all, because I realize we're, it's Thursday, what is today? May something. 20 something. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, days after there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain, um, very visible pain happening out here. And I just, I just hope that you all in these conversations, I, first, I appreciate these conversations. And um, second, I hope that you all and everyone listening are taking care of themselves um, in this time. And one thing that I, I do want to say, too, is that the time I don't like speaking very much publicly very much at all. Um, I think we probably have this conversation or I probably mentioned this before. Um, but I do appreciate the space that you two create because it is for someone like myself who wears so many different hats. It's, it's one of the few public places that I feel like I can be all versions of myself authentically and fully. And that's very rare. There isn't anywhere else that I feel like I get that. So, oh, wow. Wow. so thank you. You just made me cry. Thank you. All right, we we gotta go. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back on the line. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Much love to the people. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> oh wow! No, thank you for saying that. that really, like, honestly. <laughs> Hey, Dame. What's up, Kiss? I want you to meet my friend Miriam here. Hey, Miriam. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Miriam is my oldest friend in the world. The whole world. And she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you? I am. Oh, well, that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How how do you usually find your podcast? What do you listen to them on? (sighs) The iTunes Mm. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? It isn't the best. Well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man, it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the app store where you get all the other things. Yeah. You going to check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look how effective this ad is. <gasps> yeah. Pay, pay us more money, folks. <laughs> that's that's advertising in action. You see? Works. <laughs> see, that's how good we are at selling things. We're doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast. We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it. <laughs>